Today we shall continue with the book of the Acts of the Apostles, part 14. The book of the Acts of the Apostles, part 14. In our last meeting, we noted that of the three great promises in the Bible, the third and last, the promise of the second coming of the Lord, is yet to be fulfilled. We noted that as sure as the first two of the three great promises in the Bible have already come to pass, and we are beneficiaries of blessings therefrom, so also will the last of the great promises come to pass. And if we apply the basic principles of waiting for the promises of God, that is waiting with great expectation, waiting with great anticipation, waiting with great faith, and waiting with tremendous patience, perseverance, and prayer, we shall certainly be beneficiaries of the blessings of the second coming of Christ. More particularly though, when it comes to waiting for the second coming of the Lord, we must, in addition to waiting, watch. That is no sleep of death, nor slothfulness. Rather, we should be constantly alert and always look forward to the Lord's return at any time. We must also use the period of waiting for the second coming to make ourselves ready by being available to be prepared through scriptural teachings of the Word of God by God's ministers, whose primary role is to ensure the growth and development of each believer until each one comes to the unity of the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ and to the fullness of the stature of Christ, and by assembling together with other believers for edification, strengthening in the faith, and encouraging one another to continue to persevere in the face of trials, tribulations, and persecution. We must avoid the unpreparedness of the foolish virgins and the nonchalance of the unfaithful and wicked servants, but rather we must emulate the wisdom and foresight of the wise virgins and the diligence and steadfastness of the faithful and wise servants, lest we be locked outside when the Lord returns. We must also be mindful of the deception of this age, which seeks to lure and seduce believers in Christ away from God. Furthermore, we must persistently proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God and make disciples of new believers so that we can speed up the Lord's return. In all that we do, we must not lose sight of our own salvation and the essence of enduring till the end. Hence, holiness must be our lifestyle, the pursuit of peace with all men must be our goal, and our love for God the brethren and indeed all men must be at the heart of all that we do. And if while waiting for the second coming of the Lord, we fall asleep as in death, we would have been made ready and can rest assured that we will be among the saints when the role is called up yonder. We'll take two text verses right away uh, before we commence the study for today. Acts chapter 1 verse 4 and verse 5. Acts chapter 1, verse 4 and verse 5. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Second verse, second uh, scripture is 1 Corinthians 10, 1 to 12. 1 Corinthians 10, 1 to 12. You recall that we have been looking at um, Acts verses four, uh, 1, chapter 1, verse 4 to 5. And we've been discussing the matter of the promise of the Father, which is the coming of the Holy Spirit. But we also use that to discuss another coming, that is the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, the second coming. We made mention that there are three great blessings in the Bible. The first one was the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ in the flesh. 
to bring salvation to mankind. The second is the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ by His Spirit, which is uh, the promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit baptism, for the purpose of service. And the last great blessing, which is yet to be fulfilled, the other two have been fulfilled, is the coming, the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And since the first two have been fulfilled, we rest assured that this last one will be fulfilled. First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1 to 12. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual rock, the same spiritual drink rather, for the drunk of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with most of them God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted, and do not become idolaters, idolaters as were some of them, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Nor let us commit sexual immorality, as some of them did, and in one day 23,000 fell. Nor let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. Nor complain, as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. I read verse 12 again. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. So far we have seen how we are to wait for the second coming of the Lord. Watching, preparedness that's been prepared, wisdom, diligence, evangelism, holy living and so on. We shall now turn our attention to fundamentals that must be present in us which will help us to wait for the second coming. So we look at the promise and the wait. This will be the third one. And we are discussing fundamentals for waiting for the second coming. Fundamentals for waiting for the second coming. When in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 12, the believer in Christ is warned to take heed lest he fall. It is based on what happened to Israel of old. They were delivered from the bondage of Egypt. They crossed the Red Sea on dry ground. They experienced the miracle of manna six days a week for 40 days. They drank water brought forth from the rock. They were led by a pillar of cloud by day and surrounded by fire at night and so on. Yet, many of them died off in the wilderness, never entering the land which God promised them and to which he was leading them, because they engaged in all manner of fleshly conduct, revelries, sexual immorality, murmuring, complaining, idolatry, and so on. We, as spiritual Israel, must take heed that we don't end up like them, since our experience is like theirs, only less vivid, yet very real. We don't see a cloud today, but the cloud is there. We don't see fire, but it's there. The protection of God is there, the presence of God is there, the provision of God is there, all of God is there. But in their own case, for whatever reasons, they never made it. We want to guard against that. As we look at the word of God, we want to see the fundamentals that must be in our lives. If indeed we are going to be able to wait 
If these things are not in our life, we will not be able to wait as we ought to wait. We'll wait for a short while and then we'll give up. So let's turn our Bibles quickly to Luke chapter 14. We're going to read from 25 to 33, but I'm breaking it into two parts. 25 to 27, and then we'll look at 28 to 33. Now great multitudes went with him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Let's pause a great multitude that followed the Lord Jesus. And I would have thought that he would have, you know, encouraged them to keep coming. But he turned around and gave them this strange remark. He said, if you don't hate your parents, your spouse, your children, your siblings, if he had stopped there, I mean, you know, many of us can afford to do that. We would gladly do it because some of our siblings, some of our parents, some of even our spouses and children are a burden to us. We would like to run away from home would have loved to do that. But he didn't stop there. He went further and said, and his own life also, even your life, you don't count your life there. He says he cannot be my disciple. The Bible tells us that it was in Antioch that the disciples were first called Christians. So we are talking about being a Christian. You can't be. Does he say that you should go and hate them? No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying on a scale of 1 to 100, that is the scale of love. If your love for Christ is 100, your love for others must be one. In other words, compared to how much you love God, it will seem as if you hate them. That's what he's saying. If the Lord were to ask you to do something, and there's a commitment to family, you have to weigh the two and know that it is Christ's instructions that will come first. It's a very tough one, but it's crucial. Without this, without this understanding, we cannot wait effectively for the Lord. It will be difficult. We will give up at some point in time. And then it goes on in verse 27, Whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple, cannot be a Christian. In those days, when you see somebody carrying a cross, you see somebody going to his execution. So what he's talking about here, if you, don't, if you, if you do not count your life as cheap before God, you cannot be a Christian. For a Christian, his life is not um, all in all. His life is essentially cheap. Now, we go to verse 28 to 33. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it, lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going to make war against another king, does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him, who comes against him with 20,000, or else, while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has, cannot be my disciple. This is the bottom line. For as long as we are unwilling to forsake all for the sake of Christ, we cannot be his disciple. And it, he, 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 he wants us to count the cost. Count the cost. Not so that you will run away, but so that you will, you will, you will understand what is expected of you. You will be able to do as is expected of you to do. In Matthew chapter 16, from verse 21 through to 26, here the Lord was speaking to Peter. He had told them that, or rather Peter had confessed him as Lord. 
and from, from 21, he began to speak of his demise. The fact that he will die and that he will resurrect. For some reason, they didn't focus on the resurrection. They focused on the death. So let's read from verse 21, Matthew chapter 16. From that time, Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. You see, they didn't look at the third day. Verse 22. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. This is exactly the same thing said in Luke uh, chapter 14 that we just looked at. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? If you gathered all the monies in the world, pick the richest men in the world, say ten of them, put all the monies they have, all their assets they have, it cannot pay for one man's soul. Take all the monies in the whole universe, take all the power in the world, all the authorities that exist, that be, and put them together, they cannot pay for the soul of one man. In fact, the Bible says, I think it's in, in the book of Psalms, it says the wealthiest man on earth cannot redeem the soul of his brother with money. It's not possible. And so he tells us that you must be ready to lose your life. Until you get to that place where you are ready to lose your life. You are not, you are not ready for the kingdom. You are not ready for the second coming when the kingdom of God will be established physically on the earth. Today the kingdom of God is in the hearts of men. It's a spiritual kingdom. But a time is coming when the kingdom will be physically on the earth. Now, in Matthew chapter 26, from verse 30 to 35, the Lord mentioned what will happen about his death. Again, Peter is making vows that he will not forsake him. But we'll see what happened from 69 to 75. Matthew 26, 30 to 35. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to him, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I, will, after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered and said to him, Even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. Jesus said to him, Assuredly I say to you, that this night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And so said all the disciples. The cheapest thing, there's one of mine, he says, talk is cheap. The cheapest thing to do is to talk. But when push does to show, that's when we know the people who can really stand up to their words. Peter had vowed that he was going to follow the Lord wherever. That even if every other person fell, he would not fall. He would continue with the Lord. Now the Lord had been arrested and be taken for trial. So from verse 69, Peter is following a far off. And he gets to the place of the trial, but he stays outside the courtyard. Now let's read from 69 of Matthew 26. Now Peter sat outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him saying, You also were with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied it before them all, saying, I, don't, I do not know what you are saying. Verse 71. And when he had gone out to the gateway, 
Another girl saw him and said to those who were there, This fellow also was with Jesus of Nazareth. But again, he denied with an oath. I do not know the man. Verse 73. And a little later, those who stood by came up and said to Peter, Surely you also are one of them, for your speech betrays you. Then he began to curse and swear, saying, I do not know the man. Immediately a rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the word of Jesus, who had said to him, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So he went out and wept Peter. Why was Peter not able to stand firm? Because he loved his life. He counted his life as dear, as precious. And so anything that would upset it became a problem to him. And he was unable to stand firm when the challenge came. For as long as you count your life as something, it will be difficult for you to stand when the challenges of life come. When you have to face these things, you will not be able to. The second coming requires patience. The second coming requires that we might lose so many things and yet we are to stand firm in God. But many people today are unable to do that because they, they count their life very dear to them. They count their lives very precious. They cannot give it up for the weight. I heard a story of um, a church in, in uh, one of these communist nations some years back, decades ago rather, and um, they had rounded up this uh, underground church and they, they had, a, they had a, a, a picture or so of Jesus, whatever they call Jesus there. And the, the soldiers came with guns and said, anybody who will renounce Christ can walk out of that place. But as he's renouncing Christ, it's not just by word, he must spit on that image. So everybody, including the pastor, they went and got the heaviest saliva and was, they were spitting on that image. Then there was this little girl in the choir. When it was her turn, she cleared all the saliva from the face and began to kiss the image. She said, for him, never. Whatever you are going to do, do it. She was killed, but she never denied. We must all come to this point in our lives when we recognize that in the pursuit of Christ is the very, very present danger of the loss of our lives. And I'm going to say this to you. Everybody dies anyway. We all die. But it's better to die for something than die for nothing. And if I'm dying for something, I better die for Christ. The Bible says, you should not be afraid of the man who is able to kill you. And then afterwards he can do nothing. Be afraid of the one who is able to kill you. And afterwards throw your soul into hell. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 27. Paul gives us inkling into how he conducted himself. And how we should conduct ourselves. In verse 27 of 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he said, But I discipline my body. In fact, this is the verse that is the precursor to chapter 10 that we read. When I said, Moreover, I want you to know that these people went, they were delivered from um, captivity in Egypt. They crossed the Red Sea. They saw the miracles of God. They ate manna every day, six days a week, for 40 years. When there was no water anywhere, the, 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 the water came out from a flinty rock that should not have water at all. They drank. They had a cloud that followed them every day for 40 years. They had light giving them warmth at night and protecting them, providing them with security for 40 years. And yet, they didn't enter into the promise. We can claim all the small, small promises. But what of this major promise? Verse 27 of 1 Corinthians chapter 9. But I discipline my body and bring it into subjection. 
lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. One translation says, I, I, I give my body blows. I beat my body. I put it down. You see this body that we have, it loves enjoyment. It loves life. So if you don't beat it, if you don't punish it, that's what Paul was saying. I punish this body. You will deserve God. Peter was not, at that point in time, was not able to punish the body. And so he deserted God. But thank God, when it mattered the most, he stood firm. We also have to stand firm. Colossians chapter 3. Bible tells us, If then you were raised with Christ, when you become born again, you you are dead with Christ, and you are raised up unto a newness of life with Christ. So he said, if then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are where above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. In fact, let, let me read how the message translation put it. Message, message says, verse 2, says, don't shuffle along, eyes to the ground. Absorbed with the things right in front of you. Look up and be alert to what is going on around Christ. That's where the action is. See things from his perspective. We cannot say that we have Christ. And yet, all our attention is on the things on the earth. Our focus should be of things of eternal value. Things above the earth. We need to start telling People who are coming to Christ. That this is what Christianity is about. Christianity is not about falling in love with the world. Christianity is about falling in love with Christ. It's not about falling in love with self. It's about falling in love with God. At the pain of death. So you must count your life cheap. If we are going to succeed in waiting on the Lord. We must not love our lives. In comparison to the love that we have for God. His instructions must be overriding. In Colossians chapter 4 verse 14, we look at somebody. This was one of Paul's companions. In this letter to the Colossians, and which he asked the Laodiceans to also read. In verse 14, when they were greeting them, Paul writes, says, Luke, the beloved physician, they are the author of Luke and Acts, and Demas greet you. So you can see that these were people who were close to him, these were people who walked with him. In Philemon, Philemon is after Titus. It's only one chapter. We're going to read two verses there. 23 and 24. We encounter this fellow called Demas. Again, in 23 it says, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ, Jesus, greets you. As do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow laborers. There were fellow laborers with, 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 with um, uh, Paul. But in the last letter, the last recorded letter that is believed that Paul wrote, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, the A part of verse 10, Paul had written about his impending death. In verse 10, he writes about this Demas again. Let me read from verse 9 for fuller uh, understanding. He's writing to Timothy, he says, Be diligent to come to me quickly, for or because Demas has forsaken me. If we stop there, we can give reasons, right? That maybe Paul himself was overbearing. Maybe he went on to do other things. But look at what he said. Having loved this present world. 
and has departed to Thessalonica. The others, he mentions the others, Christians to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Now, he didn't say they loved the world and went there. They went there on missions. Demas did not go to Thessalonica for missions work. Thessalonica was a, a commercial city in those days. So like saying, when, when Portacot said, where is Susan? Said, oh, he's gone to camp. What for? Ah, <laughs> he's pursuing business there. Not that he went to start a church. No, he went there for business purposes. Having loved this present world. So, not only are we not to love our lives, we are not to love this present world. James chapter 4, verse 4, tells us, it says, adulterers and adulteresses, of course, it's coming from verse 1. We're talking about people who are praying only for their needs. People who are praying only for themselves. People who are praying for things just for their own comfort, for their own consumption. Which is pretty much what happens in many of our churches today anyway. And in verse 4, he calls such people adulterers and adulteresses. Who is an adulterer? Listen the question. Who is an adulterer? A married person who is sleeping with a, an unmarried woman. Who is an adulteress? A married woman who is sleeping with a, with, a, with a man that she is not married to. Okay. So why does he use that for people who are praying for their needs? Because this adulterer and adulteress is basically a spiritual thing. He said, you are married to God. Do you understand? But now you are going to have relations with someone else who is not God. So you are an adulterer and adulteress. Adulterers and adulteresses. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? The moment you become the friend of the world, you have become an adulterer and an adulteress. Because the world is a husband to its own. As God is a husband to his own. So when we go to over to the world, we have become adulterers and adulteresses. We have, we have broken the fidelity of our marriage to Christ. Whoever therefore wants to be, I want you to know that word, wants to be, is not yet a friend. That he desires to be a friend of the world, makes himself an enemy of God. All because they were praying. You need to hear prayers in many of our churches. And you can only come to one conclusion. Adulterers and adulteresses. That's the only conclusion you can come to. People who have forsaken their husband. And are now romancing with the world. Doing things that are inconvenient. In First John chapter 2, 15 to 19. First John chapter 2, verse 15 to 19. The Bible says... Do not love the world or the things in the world. For if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Worldliness is a sign that we do not love the Father. You remember in Revelation chapter 2 that when the Lord Jesus assessed the efficient church, he actually marked them right when it came to works. He marked them right when it came to doctrines. They were doing okay. He marked them right when he came to even challenging false apostles. But when he came to the love they had for God, zero. And on the basis of that, they scored zero. With God, it is hundred over hundred. Now, somebody will say, it's very difficult. No! Because God has given you enablement. That is what is called grace. He has also supplied you with the ability to get hundred over hundred. I read a very interesting story. A teacher had um, set exam questions, questions for a test rather, and he came to class and did revision 
with the students. After doing the revision, he passed the question papers, of course, and told them nobody's to open until he says open. So they did all the revision and everything. He now passed the question, covered, and said open. When they all opened, they were shocked. The answers were filled in and marked. Everybody scored A. They were looking at their teacher. The teacher said, yes, I want to teach you about grace. You studied Abby? They said, yes. The question came, is that not so? He said, yes. But did you answer it? He said, no. So you all scored A. Not because you answered it. But you studied. Grace is God's ability in man to do what God wants done. God is not asking you to do something that you will do in your strength. No! God is asking you to do something that he has given you the ability to do. When therefore you cease from loving this God and you turn to loving the world, you have indeed become an adulterer. You have become an adulteress. We have become like Demas, who have abandoned the things of God and have pursued the things of the world. Verse 16. For all that is in the world. Let's look at the things that are in the world. The lust of the flesh. Another word for lust is what? Desires. The desires of the flesh. The lust of the flesh. The lust of the eyes. Your eyes see something, you must get it. Your, there are people, once their eyes see something, the whole of their body will be shaken. Until that thing is got. Many people have turned to arm robbers that way. Many government officials have become corrupt that way. And the pride of life. The Yorubas have a, the expression they use in describing uh, pride. Is, is they say, the attitude or the nature of lifting oneself up. The nature of lifting yourself up. Always lifting yourself up. Every other person is small to you. You are bigger than everybody else. These are the things that comprise the world. The lust of the flesh. The lust of the eyes. The pride of life. Is not of the Father. Is not of God. But is of the world. The world does not understand that a president should walk. The world believes that if a, if that's why it is news to see a president walking. Say, ah, the president is walking. I remember one um, video that was sent some time back. Of President Obama on the street shaking as we, people were almost fainting. Is this true? Is this for real? Are you sure he's the person? No, it's not somebody else. They were trying to touch because they don't. The world doesn't believe that such a thing should happen. But with God, it's nothing. It, it is nothing for a president to walk. I'm sure many of you know that presidents go to toilets. I hope you know that. Eh? Uh, because some of you think they don't go. They don't do it. A man of God said once that he was traveling by air, first class. And every five minutes, I don't know what happened, his stomach was just turning. Every five minutes he was going to the toilet. You know, every other person in that first class sat down where they were. He was going up and down, going up and down. I, almost every five minutes. After a while, I made a six-hour six flight. You are the only one getting up and going, getting up and going. Of course, shame was coming in that I was going up. So he, he prayed to God, quiet his Lord, what is going on? God said, what, what are you, what is the problem? He said, I've been going to the toilet up and down. But are you not a man? Yeah, human being, human beings go to the toilet. There's nothing wrong with that. It's normal for you to go to the toilet. Because many of us who, are, who, who claim to be men of God, we think that, you don't, that we shouldn't go to the toilet again. I hope you remember that Elijah, uh, what's it, Elisha. How did Elisha die? Sickness. The Bible says, Elisha fell ill. The sickness through which he died. Ah, you are a human being. You are subject to death. The Bible talked about, like we read, of Elijah. A man of like passion. Some of the desires we have, he had also. But he was able, like Paul, to beat his body and curtail those desires. If we don't beat the body, not only will we love our bodies, we will also love the world. It's a gradation in verse 17. 
He says, and the world is passing away, and the lust of it, that he who does the will of God abides forever. This world is fading away, is passing away. All these buildings, when Christ finally returns, they will be, when, when the millennial reign is over, they will be burnt up. God is going to make new heavens and a new earth. Some of the monies we spend building church auditorium, and they are a waste of money. The gold platings on the, on the front of it, gold altar, they will burn to be taken away. In the UK, I'm sure you know that the head of the Anglican church is, is essentially an estate agent. His real assignment is to make sure that the churches are taken care of. And when the state is unable to give them money, what are they now doing? They are leasing the churches out. Some are using them for malls, some for mosques, as long as you can pay. But they spent, in fact, in today's currency, millions of pounds building those things. You need to go to the UK on a Sunday. Everybody's at home sleeping. The few places that are making noise are some of the Pentecostal churches. And some of them are, quite frankly, are no different from the home of Juju people that we see today. But the, 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 those big cathedrals that they built, there's nobody there. I think I've told you the story before. In um, Birmingham, Alabama, in the U.S., of a friend who told me that he went into a church. The total number of people in that church were about 15 or so. And that the pastor of the church, who was the youngest person at 65, the others were in their 70s and 80s, pastor told him that if one person should die now, they have to sell off that church. Because it is 15 of them maintaining the church. No other person is coming to the church. Only 15 of them. So he was telling that pastor that if one person of those 15 dies, they are selling that church. They cannot, they cannot afford to maintain it again. So we need to be very careful. Some of these humongous buildings that we are putting up, maybe today, yes. Five years, ten years down the road, can it be maintained? It can't be. The reason why we find money at the head of the discussion in many churches is because you, they have to maintain the structures they have built. The easiest thing to do is to build a structure. The most difficult thing is to maintain that structure. Especially in Nigeria, where you must buy generator. You must buy diesel every day. Every time you are meeting, you must buy diesel. You must maintain that building. So many things. Verse 18. Little children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us. Where were they? They were in the church. They were in the church. What took them out? Like Demas. They had loved this present world. They couldn't wait. They left. They went out from us. But they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. Worldliness is a proof that someone is not a Christian. The level of quarrel in the church overdressing is astounding. I, I, I can't even understand why that should be an issue. Why do you want to dress amorously? I read, I read um, one of these other... Uh, Stories of a, a grandmom who was talking to her granddaughter who was dressed to go to church. And the grandmother looked at the girl and said, You're looking sexy. Yo. The girl said, Oh, thanks, grandma. Grandma said, That's not supposed to be a compliment at all. You're not going to church. She's going to church. But sexy is not a word to define a Christian. You're looking sexy is not a compliment. You're looking sexy means check yourself. 
This is not the way a believer dresses. Those two words, sexy believer in Christ, sexy Christian, they don't go, they must never be used in the same sentence. Have you ever heard of a sexy Christian? Do you, do you think those two words go together? A sexy Christian. Something is wrong. But that's what we have today. We have sexy Christians. A, 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 a man of God on Facebook wrote something and a, a, a lady commenting, what was it, that, what was that word you used? You are, not, not dashing, you are what now? You are ravishing. She's a Christian. The man is a pastor. And the sister on Facebook says, man of God, you are ravishing. I am going to eat him now. Since he's ravishing. I mean, I, do, do, do we? And the, the man of God defended and said, well, you know, I don't think she understands the word. Ha! Ravishing, you don't understand the word. Do I, is there anybody who doesn't understand ravishing? Does ravishing look like uh, you are okay? Ravishing must be something else. Let's be careful. Because people who have loved themselves, and you, I, 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 you need to see pastors on Facebook. Yeah, 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 yeah. When you see the poses, and they are changing their profile photographs a second by second, you'll be wondering are these people preparing for the second coming? Or they are preparing for a fashion show. And then we have some other people in the church, they call them gospel artists. It, please, where is it ever documented that there is a gospel, that gospel artist is anything? I want to ask a question. Maybe, sometimes, sometimes I think I'm, I'm too radical. Who do we sing to when we sing? Who should give you an award for singing to God? So why do we sing to get a award from the world? Do you understand what we're saying now? Those people are adulterers and adulteresses. They are not married to God. They are now committing, having the married to God, they are now committing adultery per second, per second with the world. Now we come to a, a, a major part of our discussion. As we look at Exodus 32, 1 to 18. We see the challenge that the church of God faces. Exodus 32, I'm going to read about four parts of scripture, four portions of scripture together. And then we'll come and explain. Exodus 32 verse 1. Now, when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain. Note that please. The people gathered together to Aaron and said to Aaron, Come, make us gods that shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. Who brought them out of Egypt? Eh? But who did they say brought them out? Do, 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 you, do you see the problem now? This pastor who preached to me, and I gave my life, I don't even know where he is. I beg, make, make something for me to worship God. Verse 2. And Aaron said to them, break off the earrings, the golden earrings, which are in the ears of your wives, your sons and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people broke off the golden earrings, which were in their ears, and brought them to Aaron. Have you seen how people are willing to give money when it is something that they want? But when it is something that God wants, the money is hard to come. I heard there's a church in um, Uyo. I don't know if they still do it. But they say the, pastor, the, the, the highlight of church service is to, what, what do they call it now, when the fellow comes to bring money to, to the altar. They will say, okay, now wait for it. We're going for only ten people who will give Five million. I'm going to count to three. The first ten is all I'm taking. Everybody will get up from their chair. Waiting. That is church service. Once it counts three, man! I say, no, 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 no. They will cut off the, the people will go back disappointed. That is a church service. 
No, I want you to understand what is happening in the church. That is called a church service. They will gladly break off the golden earrings to make an idol. They will, they will not break it off to preach the gospel. Verse 4. And he received the gold from their hand. And he fashioned, not these words. What did he do? He, he, he took patience to work it out. To fashion it. The way we plan church programs, we fashion it. It must be, there must nothing must, if you see this one that is coming, there is no home there. It must be well made. Fashioned it with an engraving tool and made a molded cow. Then they said, this is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. So when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. Verse 6. Then they rose early on the next day, offered burnt offerings, and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Remember this statement in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 that we read. And the Lord said to Moses, Go, get down from your, for, for your people, whom you brought out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. Let's pause a bit. This is God's, what's the word now? Pronouncement on today's church. We have corrupted ourselves. So when God looks down, He doesn't see the church without spots and without blemish. What does He see? Corruption, iniquity, wantonness. Rebel, that's what he sees. Everybody does as he likes. Everybody is a big man in his own right. Verse 8. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made themselves a molded cow and worshipped it and sacrificed to it. And said, this is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. God is re- recounting to Moses what happened when he wasn't there. You know, many of us think that, we, that God doesn't know the things that are happening in our lives. He knows the thoughts. He knows every single thing that we have said. And on that day, when we stand, when we will give account for that word. Verse 9. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen these people, and indeed it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore, let me alone that, I may, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, and I will make of you a great nation. Sometimes when I read this scripture, I wish that Moses had listened. Because God would have just finished everybody, and it would be Moses alone. He can now start a new nation. But well, Moses being an intercessor did not accept it. In verse 11, then Moses pleaded with the Lord his God and said, Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians speak and say, he brought them out to harm them, to kill them in the mountains, and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce wrath and relent from this harm to your people. Let's pause. If somebody comes to church now and drops dead, they say, ah, she been at church in go. Why you die for inside church now? They have forgotten that the man has sacrificed to an idol. They have forgotten that the man is an adulterer. They have forgotten that the protection of God has left him. Do, do you understand that? But instead, it is God they, they blame. Why this thing kind, this kind of thing happened to this man? And she been they go church. But they have forgotten all the things he's been doing, contrary to God. Verse 13. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self, and said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven, and all this land that I have spoken of you, of, I give to your descendants, and they shall inherit it forever. So the Lord relented from the harm which he said he would do to his people. And Moses turned and went down from the mountain, 
and the two tablets of the testimony were in his hands. The tablets were written on both sides, on one side and on the other they were written. Now the tablets were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God, engraved on the tablets. Now, 17, listen now. When Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, what did he say? There is a noise of war in the camp. Some of these are our prayers, that we say warfare prayer. We call it what? The noise of war. Say, ah, we are warring. Look at what Moses said in verse 18. But he said, it is not the noise of the shout of victory, nor the noise of the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing I hear. The sound of enjoyment. The sound of pleasure. That's what I hear. So some of those prayer, those, those um, prayer sessions that you say we are, we are worried. What God sees are people who are just crying for themselves. They are not interested in what God says. Remember we had, a, we had a video. When this church first started in 2009, we had a night video. When we were assembled for the night video, I was asked, I was talking to the Lord in the course of the day that, so what should we, what should we be doing at the night video? He said, oh, I want them to pray for my needs. I said, ah, you have needs? He said, yes, he has needs. I want them, wants us to pray for his needs. I said, what are your needs? Souls. That people will walk right. That the church will stand strong. That was the dullest night video I attended in my life. People were, were sad that they were not praying for their needs. They were upset that the prayer was for the needs of God. I mean, I couldn't understand. But you know the reason? They are adulterers and adulteresses. That's the reason. Exodus 24 verse 9. We want to see why Aaron did what he did. Or we want to ask the question, why did Aaron do what he did? Because Exodus 24, 9 to 11, reveals something to us. Let's, let's read it. Then Moses went up. Also Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel. Actually 75 people went up. Because Joshua was there, but Joshua is not recorded. Because Joshua was not permitted to go in. He just stayed at one lower part of the mountain. But this 74 went up. In verse 10. And they saw who? They saw who, please? No, say it aloud. Okay, let's read further. And there was under his feet, as it were, a paved walk of sapphire stone. When they say, as it were, they don't know how to describe what they saw. So they give a, a thing that they can relate to, that a man can relate to. So when somebody says, the streets of heaven are paved in gold. He, he, he can't say what material is paved in. He only mentions gold because that is the closest thing his mind can imagine. Right? So that's what he's saying there. A paved, uh, a paved walk of sapphire stone. And it was like the very heavens in its clarity. So they are trying to describe this sapphire stone. It's clear. But it looks like sapphire stone, yet it is clear. Verse 11. That on the nobles of the children of Israel, he, that is God, did not lay his hands. So they saw God, and they ate and drank. I'd like to ask a question. When Aaron was fashioning this gold cup, was he fashioning what he saw? Because I've always been, it's a question I've always been asking. What did he see that he fashioned a gold cup? Don't forget that, how many people did I say went up to the mountain? You know, afterwards God called Moses away, so Moses and Joshua went elsewhere. All 73 came down. All 73 were in the camp when they said Aaron should make them a god. So remove Aaron. How many people are there now? 72. Aaron made the gold cap and all 72 said, this is your god. Do you understand what we're saying? Not one of them could say, ah, brother Aaron, this is not what we saw. 
That's what is happening in the church today. Men who have actually sat with God, have heard the word of God, are now preaching errors. And nobody has been able to say, ah, brother, this is not the word of God. Instead, we are all following the trail. That's what has happened. All of them declared, this indeed is the God that brought us out of Egypt. What did Aaron fashion? Aaron fashioned what he saw in Egypt. Not what he saw on the mountain. We are no longer preaching what we have seen in the Bible. We are now preaching what we saw of our brothers, our sisters, our ancestors in the Juju house. That's what we have brought to church. That's why the anointing oil is a major issue. That's why handkerchief is a major issue. Let me tell you a story. There was this woman who was very, very recalcitrant. She had a problem with her husband. And so she went to the church. And the church advised her that. Because they said that the husband was always beating her when he comes home drunk. So they said to the woman, say, sister, when he comes home drunk, what do you tell him? Say, hey, I was abused. Say, no, 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 no. Stop, stop, stop saying anything to him again. She refused to listen. And the beatings continued. So somebody said, come, I will take you to one baba. That baba will do a portion for you that your husband will stop beating you. So they took her to this baba. The man looked at the woman and saw that this woman is just a difficult woman. So he took a smooth stone, you know those stones that you pick from the beach? Very smooth stone, gave it to her. Hold it, don't let it fall. She held it. He said, when your husband comes home, put it under your tongue. And then abuse him as you like, he won't touch you. But make sure the stone does not fall. So the woman said, thank you, Baba, thank you, Baba. She went home. The first night, the husband came back home. She put the stone under her mouth. And she wanted to speak, she remembered that the stone was not fall. She said, because if it falls, the man will beat you to death. That was how the abuse of her husband was That's what, that, we, we don't want to follow the word of God. But we want to follow the juju man's prescription. Please, let me ask a question. Was there a difference between what the church told the woman and what that Baba eventually... Keep your mouth shut. That is all the man, the church was saying to the man, uh, to the woman. The Baba didn't tell the woman, keep your mouth shut. Just give her a stone. Put it under your tongue. When he comes, talk. Abuse him, but make sure that stone does not, because if he falls down, the beating he will beat you, he will kill you. And the woman realizing that, make sure that the stone doesn't drop, she couldn't talk again. May the Lord help us. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 15 to 19. This is Moses in his farewell speech to Israel. Take careful heed to yourselves, for you saw no form when the Lord spoke to you at Horeb, out of the midst of the fire. What is he saying there? You didn't see anything. All you heard was the voice of God. You didn't see anything. Now, we are seeing pictures of Jesus. Who here saw Jesus when he, when he came? I heard one fellow who acted the part of Jesus wrote something on Facebook that they should stop calling him Jesus. Because they have picked, they have picked that picture of him in that film and now use it as an amulet. They say that's Jesus. So the man has been begging them that please, I'm not, this is me. Why do you think God did not appear in any form? Can anybody guess? Because we are going to have different... That's what, look at what Aaron did now. He saw God, yet he came and made a cow. So God said, I didn't appear to you in any form. Don't draw anything and say this is God. Don't make any image and say this is God. I, I, I did not put anything there. Look at verse 16. It says, lest you act corruptly and make for yourselves a carved image in the form of any figure, the likeness of male or female, 
the likeness of any animal that is on the earth, the likeness of any winged bird that flies in the air, the likeness of anything that creeps on the ground, or the likeness of any fish that is in the water beneath the earth, and take heed, lest you lift up your eyes to heaven, and when you see the sun, the moon, and the stars, all the hosts of heaven, you feel driven to worship them and serve them which the Lord your God has given to all the peoples under the whole heaven as a heritage. God said, don't make any image, whether of a man, or of a female, or of bird, or of animal. Don't make anything. We call God the lion of the tribe of Judah. Is he a lion? No. So don't carve the image of a lion and say, this is God. God made man. In his own image after his own likeness. But he, he said, don't draw any man. And say, this is God. But we have refused. We continue to do those things. We continue to worship anything that is placed before us. That has a form. I told you here before. Of a man who has been going to meetings. Every meeting they do in their church. They have mantle, mantle service. So he has several mantles in his room. He, those mantles have become his idols. That he worships. God said, I don't want you to do anything like that. You didn't see anything. In fact, I think in Exodus 1 place, he said, Remember, you didn't see anything. You only heard a voice. Now, let's go to 1 Samuel, before we now put everything together. 1 Samuel chapter 3, from verse 1 to 10. Again, we want to see the state of the house of God in the time of Samuel. Phineas, the son of Eleazar, the grandson of Aaron, had on one occasion, when they were weeping for their sins before God. Because the people had seen that God was killing people in the, in the uh, camp. One fellow, forgot his, was it Cosby? Forgotten his name. One fellow entered the camp with a girlfriend from Moab. Entered the camp and went into his tent with the girl. While everybody was before the tabernacle crying for their sins. And they proceeded to copulate. Phineas, the son of Eleazar, grabbed the javelin ran into the tent and with the javelin pinned both the man and the girl to the ground and the plague stayed. God said, Phineas, I'm making a covenant with Phineas that from this day on his descendants will, will, be, will become priests unto me. That was how Eli became the high priest. It was of the line of Phineas. So let's read from chapter 3 now. We have not read chapter 2. I advise you to read it. It's about the sons of Eli and the kind of atrocities they were committing in the house of God. Now let's read from chapter 3, verse 1. Now the boy Samuel ministered to the Lord before Eli. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no widespread revelation. And it came to pass at that time, while Eli was lying down in his place. And when his eyes had begun to grow so dim that he could not see. I want you to know this, this is a church leader, but he can't see. Leadership ought to see what God is doing and come and transmit to the body. But we have a leader who is dim inside. Who can't see what God is doing and is a leader. We are in trouble. Verse 3. And before the lamp of God went out in the tabernacle of the Lord, where the ark of God was, and while Samuel was lying down, I think we, we, we did this some years ago. We spent quite some weeks on this, so I'm not going to spend too much time on it. And the Lord called Samuel and he answered, Here I am. So he ran to Eli. Who called Samuel? To whom did he run to? And said, here I am, for you called me. And he said, I didn't call you. Lie down again. And he went and lay down. Then the Lord called yet again, Samuel. So Samuel arose and went to Eli. 
and said, here I am, for you called me. He answered, I did not call my son, lie down again. Verse 7 is crucial. Now Samuel did not yet know that he was ministering before the Lord. And he didn't know the Lord. There are many people who are pastoring churches, who are engaged in one form of ministry or the other, who don't know the Lord. And yet, this is one crucial thing that God wants us to, to know Him. He says, nor was the word of the Lord yet revealed to him. We no longer hear the word of the Lord in our churches. We hear the words of men. We hear political discourse. We hear economic discourse, social discourse. Rarely do we hear the word of God. In the beginning, the Bible says that the word was rare. There were Revelations were rare in those days. Verse 8. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. So he arose and went to Eli and said, here I am. For you, sir, you called me. I'm not making a mistake. I heard you. Then Eli perceived that the Lord had called the boy. See how long it took before Eli realized that, wait a minute, this is God calling this boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, go, lie down. And it shall be, if he calls you, that you must say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Now the Lord came and stood and called us at other times. Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel answered, speak for your servant hears. Now I want to put all these four, Exodus 32, 1 to 18, Exodus 24, 9 to 11, Deuteronomy 4, 15 to 19, and 1 Samuel 3, 1 to 10. I want to put it together and answer the question, why would men make a gold card? If we go back to chapter 32, uh, Exodus 32, and read from verse 1, you will see that they were unable to wait for Moses to come down. Now, we know that Moses spent 40 days on this particular trip. We also know that Moses went down after God had said, this is what they are doing, right? And the following day was the day they announced that they were going to have a feast unto God. So that was the 40th day. So the day this thing was made was the day before the 40th day. That would have been the 39th day. Give and take, let's assume our calculation is not too correct. 38 or 39 days. Bottom line, it was the eve of the return of Moses. They couldn't wait. Like many of us today, we are at the eve of the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. We can't wait. So what did they say? They went to Aaron and said, please, make us a God. Pastors are under burdens right now. They are, they are congregants go to a church. They see something, they say, Pastor, ah, if we can do this thing in our church, the church will grow. Pastor said, hey, what was it? Ah, this was how they were collecting offering. The pastor fashioned that into his own program now. How to collect offering. I think I shared with you once how one man went to a church to collect offering. Did I not share that with you? Best repetition. He said everybody should stand up. They stood up. Then he said, we are going to take offering differently today. Actually, he was a guest minister. And he said, put your right hand in the pocket of the man next to you. And bring out whatever you find there and put it in the offering basket. The offering that day was over ten times more than the normal offering. You know, if you are giving the offering, you will count the money before it even leaves your pocket of what is going there. But somebody took his hand inside your pocket. Everything there is what is bringing out and giving us up. That's how they gave that offering that day. So now imagine that somebody went to that church that day and comes to his own church and says, Pastor, I saw a new way of taking off. What do you think will happen the following Sunday? I'm asking a question now. Eh? Nobody's coming to church with money. All pockets will be empty. But these were the things that were happening. So, 
Aaron is being motivated to act in a manner, not by God, but by who? The people. The people were the ones who said this is God. Including the 72 elders who went up the mountain. I want to ask you a question. If there are 73 people who saw God, and all 73 agreed that this is God, the people who didn't see God, what do you think they would do? They have to concur. So many of us who have not seen God, who have not heard the word of God, we are following the people who claim that they saw God and are preaching something that is not the Bible. That's what we are doing. I mean, please, can somebody tell me, how does a pastor say to his church people that they should kill any headsman they see near the church? How does a pastor make a statement like that? How does a pastor say, anoint the gun? You are telling the churches, the members to carry gun. Anoint the gun. Anoint the cutlass. Anoint yourself and kill them. What are you saying? Are we a lawless nation? Now, the day the government goes to arrest that man for that statement, not because anybody has acted, but because of that statement, what will he say? They are persecuting the church. Is that, is that a, a reasonable statement to make? Now, another young charlatan will hear that and go to his own church and fashion it into a new thing. And say, anybody who slaps you, slap him back. What did the Bible say? If they slap you on one cheek, turn. Is that the word of God they are following now? But these are people who we respect. These are people who we follow. The gunpowder of religious war, the church is the one igniting it. Uh, which nation is that now? Lebanon. So you know Lebanon, they, they've not been able to find peace. For well, I, I was in secondary school, I think, when the war broke out. Well over 30 years. What am I saying? 40 years. Second, I was in secondary school. So over 40 years, Lebanon, is still, they are still fighting. Till tomorrow. Many of the Lebanese you see in Nigeria who are working, they are actually working to fund money, to send money home for the war. It's a religious war. It never ends. Central African Republic have the same thing. It never ends. You see the people who are banging the drums of war in this country, they don't know what they are doing. This is, this is it. They, they cannot preach a simple message for people to feed on the word of God and go home and cry before God and seek the Lord, and wait for the second coming of the Lord, and pray for the coming of the kingdom, pray for souls to come into the kingdom, pray that they will be sanctified day and night, sanctified soul, body, spirit, pray that the church of God will continue to grow. There are things to pray for brothers and sisters, things to cry to God for, but no, we are not talking about those in church. Another man of God that I respect tremendously, told his people to go and join political parties. Why? Because they want to change the order of the country. Is that the business of the church? That's not the business of the church. Let's be careful. Some of the things we are saying. If the man, if the people want to jump political, but that's their business, but it shouldn't come from us. I've never, I've never believed that the state and the church should be married. I never believed it. I still don't believe it. I don't believe that the state should sponsor Christian pilgrimage. In the, in the Bible, there is no pilgrimage for any Christian. So I don't know what pilgrimage we are doing. If you want to go on tourist attraction, take your money and go. Don't, don't commit the, the fund of the state for that purpose. You cannot be taking money from the state to go on pilgrimage. And then the state now says they want to audit your books. You say no. At least, if nothing at all, they want to audit the money you collected from them. Abi? Aaron begins to do all kinds of things. He concord with the congregants. And before long, they had a gold calf in place. They had a God they could worship. You see, the God that Moses had introduced them to. They didn't want to see that God. In fact, they told Moses, they said, we don't want to hear him again. You go, hear from God. 
come and tell us what he says, we will do it. Moses had only gone for 38, 39 days. Were they willing to wait? No. Yeah, that's what they said, that they are going to wait to hear from Moses. And then they rose up to play, to dance. That's what we do in many of our churches. Comedians are in church, stand on the pulpit, and they are cracking jokes, and pastors are raising up their legs in front of the altar and laughing, slapping and doing all kinds of things. We're not talking of Christian drama groups. All manner of drama groups are coming on, and we are encouraging it in the church of God. That's what Aaron was doing. There's no difference. That's what Aaron was doing. That's what the gold calf is all about. The Lord told us when he was living that we should celebrate what now? Passover. The Holy Communion, right? Did he tell anybody to celebrate Christmas? Did you know? Because me, sometimes I want to know. Maybe I've maybe I've not read the Bible very well. Maybe I didn't read some books that they have read. Did Jesus Christ one day, throughout his 33 years, did you hear that he called people to celebrate his birthday? After he died and left. Did you see Peter say, you know, in honor of what our master used to do, let's continue to celebrate his birthday? Did he celebrate it? Not once. Did Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles, celebrate the birthday of Christ one day? So what are we doing? Who brought it in? How does it become a, 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 something that we do? Has it occurred to you that it's only during so-called Christian festivals that people get drunk? No, I, I want you to note it. Watch it next time. Watch a Muslim festival. The place is calm. Watch a Christian festival. It's rowdy. Noise everywhere. Why? What is going on? This is what was happening. You recall when Joshua was interpreting what was going on. Joshua was thinking it was a major issue of war. Moses said, no. This is not war. These are people who are enjoying themselves. These are people who have turned to the world. These are people who are enjoying the things of the world. Let's read 2 Timothy chapter 3 and see what the Lord tells us there. 2 Timothy chapter 3, from verse 1 to 7. But know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of mourning, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiven, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Can I ask a question? Who were they writing this to now? They're writing to a pastor, telling him what will happen in the last time. Verse 5. Having a form of godliness, that denying its power, and from such people turn away. No matter the title, no matter the crowd. Turn away. Verse 6. For of this sort, these are the kind of people, are those who creep into households and make captives of gullible women, loaded down with sins themselves, led away by various lusts, always learning, and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. One young lady was telling me some time back, she wasn't saying it as in it is a strange thing. She was saying it like, why are they charging so much? This was the story she told me, that she needed some people, she's a single sister, she needed some, uh, one pastor to come and pray in her house because she felt that there were evil spirits there. Now, why she can't pray is what I don't understand. But she needed the pastor to come. So the pastor charged her 50,000 naira. So she was asking, why is this so expensive? And the pastor explained to her that he's not coming alone. He's coming with some prayer warriors. And that besides that, they have discovered that after they have prayed for people, and the blessings have come, the people have forgotten them. So now they take the money up front. These are the times we are in. They go to church, they hear the word of God, but they are never, always learning. 
but they are never able to live out the truth. There's something happening in your house at 2 a.m. Don't call the pastor, kneel down and pray. The work of the pastor is to lead you to God, to tell you this is the way to God, to build you until you have the same faith as he has, until you are walking in the fullness of the stature of Christ. That is the work of the pastor. It's not to be picking calls at 2 a.m. Some people have left church because they said, when I called my pastor at 2 a.m., the phone was switched off. So pastor shouldn't sleep because you cannot sleep. A pastor friend of mine told me of how a deacon in his church called him at 2 a.m. Say, man of God, ah, there's fire on the mountain. My house girl is displaying at 2 a.m. Man of God, you need to pray. I'll put it on speaker. Pray, pray. He's a deacon. He can't pray. He's putting it on speaker. What? what, what? The man who is drowsy and groggy in his eyes should pray. Because there is fire on the mountain. And his house is that mountain. May the Lord help us. This is the state that we find the church in. For many people, they have fallen from grace. Galatians chapter 5, 1 to 4. Stand fast therefore in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. And do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a, a debtor to keep the whole law. Because under the law, if you are keeping one part, you must keep every one of it. In verse 4 it says, You have become estranged from Christ. You who attempt to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. Let me read it from the easy to read version of the Bible. From verse 1 again, Galatians 5. We have freedom now because Christ made us free. So stand strong in that freedom. Don't go back into slavery again. Note that. Don't return to slavery. Listen. I, Paul, tell you that if you start following the law by being circumcised, then Christ cannot help you. If you want to start doing things that God has not said, because somebody said that if you do it this way, you are going to be delivered. If you do it this way, you are going to be healed. If you do it, you are going to be rich. Christ, then they are, they are saying to Christ that you choose that word instead of Christ. Verse 3. Again, I warn everyone, if you allow yourselves to be circumcised, then you must follow the whole law. For if you try to be made right with God through the law, your life with Christ is finished. You have left God's grace. You have departed from grace. Grace is the ability that God gives us to accomplish the task He wants us to accomplish. To live as He wants us to live. The minute I choose to live by another means, what has happened? I have rejected the grace of God and chosen another means of living. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 20 through to 22. Second Peter 2, 20, 22. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome. The latter end is worse for them than the beginning. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. But it has happened to them, according to the true proverb, a dog returns to his own vomit and a soul having washed to her wallowing in the mire. That's a pig. Has anybody tried to bathe a pig before? But we used to have, my brother will remember that, we used to have one dog. The moment you finish bathing that dog, the first thing he's going to is the field, to rub himself on sand. So sometimes you ask yourself, why are we bathing the dog in the first Because he's going back to sand. 
That's what the that's what the saying is. He said, if we have escaped the pollution of this world, we have come to the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. How come we are entangled in it again? How come we are listening to men who are telling us some strange things? I told you before of a man that a lady went to meet. I hear the man is somewhere here in Burukiri. The lady went to meet this man and she was looking for deliverance. You are talking about somebody who had been a Christian for years, decades in fact. But she felt that something was disturbing her. Because she's not married, maybe something is disturbing her marriage. And they tell you all kinds of silly things. You're not pregnant because something is disturbing it. You're not married because something is disturbing this. You are not able to mix up because something is the near success syndrome. All kinds of things that will tickle you. So she went to this man. The man said, ah! that she can see, that he can see her, that the, the mummy water that, that she's married to is very strong. That she needs to pay 70 calories to, to deliver her from the, from the hold of the mummy water. Do you know when Nigerians, when we use calories last in this country? It's centuries ago. But the man now told her that, well, because we don't use calories now, he's going to have to, she's going to have to pay money. So he converted the 70 calories to Naira. 50,000 Naira. That's the conversion rate. The lady told me, Pastor, I didn't have the money. If I had the money, I would have given him. That's the church. Do you know how many people are going back into bondage after being freed by God? I want to challenge anybody to tell me that a Christian needs deliverance. Needs to go for deliverance for a Christian. The salvation that you have, the day you got that salvation, it is a total package. It came with deliverance, everything. If you will stick to Christ and follow him, you'll be delivered. Totally and completely. The Bible tells us that by knowledge shall the righteous be delivered. The knowledge of God is how you are delivered, how you are fully established. The Lord Jesus said, if you continue in my words, then are you my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Whom the Son shall set free is free indeed. When we are growing as young believers, people were casting out all manner of things. They were casting out fluff from carpets. And if you put brand new carpet in your house, it has fluff. It's standard. But they were casting out fl- carpet fluff. They will wake up in the morning and start casting the demon of carpet fluff. Satan will just be laughing. Look at, look at this fellow. Please, let's do something to, to show him again. I, I heard the story of a, a, some, some brethren were praying in, in a house. As they were praying, one prankster had hid inside the cupboard. So as they were praying, the cupboard would move. Boom, boom. They would pray, pray, pray. Boom, boom. Pray, 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 boom, boom. After they turn to the cupboard, in the name of Jesus, I ask you, boom, boom, the clean will move. In the name, after a while, they ran out of the house. Who was a prankster? Why do we, what, what's wrong with us? Why do, we, why do we do all those things? Many people have, are like dogs. They have gone back to their bones. Syncretism is the order of day in the church. Syncretism is where you are mixing all manner of beliefs together. That is the order of the day in many of our churches today. And we need to be very careful. In chapter 3, uh, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 17. Uh, sorry, 2 Peter. The same 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 17. You therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness. If you allow spiritual lethargy to enter your life, if you allow complacency, complacency is a state of satisfaction. We have arrived. If you allow it in your life, you will fall from your own steadfastness. It is not over until you get to heaven. It cannot be over in the world. It is over when we get to heaven. So as long as there is breath in us, we keep at it. We keep holding steadfast until we, 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 we fall asleep. 
Why are we afraid to die? If the way to heaven before the second coming is death, why should a believer be afraid to die? The simple answer is, he is not ready to be God. There are many people sadly who will go to church and walk into hell. Many years ago, as a young believer, I heard the story of a young lady. She came to church in the morning, enjoyed service, returned home in the evening, she hung herself. I asked. She didn't read the Bible. She didn't understand the word of God. Why would she do such a thing? Then somebody will come and be fooling himself. I met one man in America. He said, oh, my brother committed suicide, but I know he's in a better place. I looked at the man, better place. You must be joking. He took his life. You cannot, you are, thou shalt not kill. It includes your own life. God has not given you permission to kill yourself. Let me read 17 again. You therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked. Many of us don't know that so that the, you, see, you see, the devil does not come with two horns dressed in red. No, he doesn't, and a tail carrying a, a, a fork in his hand. No, he doesn't dress like that. The, there's one film they said, the devil wears Prada. When you see the devil dress, you will fall in love with him, I'm telling you. They will be begging you, don't fall in love with him for where? This one, I'll fall in love with him. When, if the devil were to arrive here, the kind of car that will enter here, nobody will listen to this sermon again. You will all go and be, and, and, because if he opens the door, the AC will blow inside this place. Meanwhile, our own door is closed, but it will enter here. So everybody will run out of there. The AC there is better. Be careful. Many people have been led with the error of the wicked. The error of the wicked is to tell you, somebody described it this way. He said, when you enter a shop, the devil will say to you, everything here is free. Buy it. So you are putting it into a bag. They will say, I say it's free. Say, I know. I'm, I want to get to the case. No, no, no. Before you get to the checking counter, eat, eat, eat. You eat one small chocolate, say, no, eat the most expensive chocolate. When you now get to the counter, you realize that you have to pay. You know you can drop the others that you haven't eaten. What are the ones that you have eaten? That's how it presents things to you. Say, eat it, enjoy. Now, somebody, some people are preaching grace that has no word, nothing to do with grace. Say, once you are saved, you are forever saved. You can do anything, nothing can happen to you. You will soon know. Say, don't mind those people who are preaching something else. They don't know what they are talking about. I say, okay, let us start the scriptures. Matthew chapter 7, because that's why it's good for each, each believer. Read the Bible. Believe the Bible. Don't believe man, no. Matthew chapter 7, 21 to 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. Is that in your Bible, please? That he who does the will of my Father in heaven. If this is the case, what should you be focusing on? Doing the will of God, finding out what that will is. That's basically what it is. Verse 22. Many, I've told you, when you read many in the Bible, the opposite of many is what? Few. So if many are going to do something, it means few is what is left, right? Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? I ask a question. Who are the people who do these three things? Who are the people who prophesy in the name of God? Men of God, Abi? Who are the people who boast in casting out demons? Men of God, Abi? Who are the people who boast in doing wonders in the name of Lord? Is it not men of God? They are the ones who will be coming to say, But Lord, Lord, we did this, we did this, we did this. Look at verse 23. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. It's not in present tense. It's in what now? So all that one they were doing, he didn't know what they were doing. But there were crowds at the meeting. People were giving testimonies at those meetings. He said, I didn't know it. I wasn't aware. Depart from me. You who practice what? Lawlessness. Not to follow the word of God is to be lawless. It's more than driving against one way. If you don't follow the word of God, you are driving against one way in the kingdom of God. 
you are a lawless individual. Someone might say, who will deliver us from this kind of thing? Let's read Second Peter finally. Chapter 1, verse 1 to 11. And we'll, we'll pray and close. Simon Peter, a born servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. How is grace and peace multiplied to us? By the knowledge of God and of Christ. The more of God you know, the more of Christ you know, the more of grace you will receive, the more of peace you will have. Your confidence will be strong because of your knowledge of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So when a man comes to you and all, is, all you are hearing in church every day is how to be rich, is how to be strong, how to be famous, how to be noted, and, this, and nobody's telling you how to know God. You have no grace, you have no peace. Verse 3. As his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through how? The knowledge of him who has called us by glory and virtue. As your knowledge of God and Christ increases, what happens to you? All that you need for you to live a godly life is being added to you. You don't work for it. You want to walk? Go and seek to know God. Go and seek to know Christ. As your knowledge of them begins to increase, your gra- the grace of God upon your life increases. The peace of God in your heart increases. The thing that you need to live a godly life is being added to you every day. Verse 4, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through loss. Look at two promises that God promises everyone. If you know me, if you know my son Jesus Christ, and you grow in it, and you increase in it, I am going to make sure that you become a partaker with me in heaven. My nature. And here on earth you will escape from the wrath of the corruption of this, the rather will fall on those who are corrupt in this world. What a wonderful promise. If only we will pursue the knowledge of God. In John 17 verse 3, the Lord Jesus said, This is eternal life, that they might know you, the Father, and the Son, Jesus Christ, is eternal life. So how do you want to have eternal life when you don't know God? When you don't know the Son? In Jeremiah chapter 9, 23 and 24, so, the Lord said, Let the rich not boast in his wealth. Let the strong not boast in his might. Let the um, wise not boast in his wisdom. Boast in this, that you know me, that I am a God who loves justice and judgment. And these things please me. But no, we don't, we don't seek that. We want to come to church so that somebody can tell you you'll be rich. Say, raise up your hand, you raise up your hand. As you're raising up your hand, and as I'm praying, money will stick to your hand. We say, hey, hey, the, the roof. If I if we bring that kind of man here, and he says, this house will collapse. There's an old house because of the shouting. The whole house will just collapse. I told you before, I went to a church once. The man said he's going to pray for them. Everybody bring your phone out. They brought their phones out. Say, lift it up. Say, lift, they lift it up. Say, I'm going to pray a prayer now. Within today and tomorrow, you'll get an alert on your phone. Who is going to put money in the alert? Who is going to put money in the phone? By prayer. Everybody brought their phone. Nobody has given testimony in that place that he opened his phone and there was a alert. How do you do kind of, that kind of thing? What are we doing? The simple knowledge of Jesus Christ, people don't have. The people's simple knowledge of God, people don't have. And we say we are doing church. And we carry a crowd of ignorant men and women on the way to hell. And you think that we will go to hell and you will go to heaven? It's not possible. Verse 5. But also for this very reason, given all diligence and to your faith, add to your faith virtue. Say you now have faith, good. There are additions. 
You cannot say have faith, then you stop there. You must grow to your faith virtue. To virtue, knowledge. That's knowledge of God. To knowledge, self-control. To self-control, perseverance. To perseverance, godliness. To godliness, brotherly kindness. To brotherly kindness, love. You must be increasing from faith. They should see the spirit of excellence in your life. When you have added that, they should be able to see that you know God. When you have added that, they should be able to see that you have... Because if you know God, you'll be, you have self-control. You will caution yourself, knowing the God that you serve. With self-control, you will grow in perseverance. As you are, as you are controlled... Self-control is not you controlling yourself. It's actually you allowing the Spirit of God to control you. So when you are being thus controlled, you will be able to endure patiently. That's perseverance. And then as you grow in perseverance, then you will grow in godliness. As you grow in godliness, you will not be able to love your Christian brothers equally. And as you love them equally, you will grow in the love of all men. You, if you are a Christian, let me tell you what, the key thing that distinguishes us as Christians is the love for men. You cannot say, Hausa Ibo, Yoruba, as a Christian, it doesn't exist. You cannot say Muslim, as a Christian, it doesn't exist. You have to love all men. And you remember what the Lord Jesus, the example he used, the parable of the, um, what do you call him now? The Good Samaritan. How the priest went, the Levite went, another Jew went, met a Samaritan, and they were all on the same path. But when they saw the man, they crossed the road. Then the Samaritan was passing on the other side of the road, saw him across to him, picked him up to, to an inn, treated him very well, and left his credit card more or less. Said, whatever he needs, give it to him. When I return, I'll pay. Said, now that is how to show love to a man. The Jews hated it because they hated Samaritans. How can you say a Samaritan helped a Jew? But that's what it is. Others may be drumming, beating the drums of war. If you're a Christian, you beat the drum of love. Shut them down. Tell them that is ungodly counsel. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the path of sinners, nor seated in the seat of his comfort. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on the law of the Lord doth he meditate day and night. He shall be like a tree that is planted by the side of the river, whose leaf does not wither. Even in a famine, he will not know drought. Yet he will prosper in all that he does. That's the word of God. How do you take the counsel of, of the ungodly and tell me that you will prosper? That prosperity is not of God. Verse 8. For if these things are yours, and what? Found. They shouldn't be there in small measure. God does not expect you to have anything in small measure. Everything in abundance. I saw one billboard. Divine ability for abundance. I asked the question. Abundance of what? It's not abundance of grace. It's not abundance of love. It's not abundance of Christ's life. It's abundance of money. Nothing more than that. Divine ability is not for that kind of abundance. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. If these things are in you, you will know God more and more. You will know Christ more and more. It is because these things are not there. That's why we don't know Him. That's why we don't even seek to know Him. That's why we're not hungry to know Him. Somebody said once, show me your friend and I'll show you who you are. Show me who your friend is. Show me who you know. I will tell you what you are living. The kind of life you are living. If you know an arm robber very well, you are not far from it yourself. Verse 9. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted, even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. What are you to be diligent in now? Make sure that your call is standing, that your election is standing. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. 
they will just open the doors of heaven to you. They say he's coming. Allow him to come. He knows it. He knows the Lord. When they were, when they were met, they were friends. They've been talking. In fact, God says he's coming. They, he, he, you see, the one that we have the image that when you get to the gate of heaven, they will ask for your name. Don't worry, we do it to encourage people. That when you get there, the door is wide open. And if you die, and you're not going to heaven, you're not in a queue waiting for, you are going to hell. As the eyes close, where you are is the time. We are the ones who spend weeks gathering money to bury. The man, the soul has gone to where it belongs. A very wicked man, when they want to bury him, they look for church. Do you know, do you know this, that? They look for church to bury him. He has not been in church for a long time. They say, hey, we'll pay the dues. The family say, we'll pay the dues. As if the priest coming to bury the man will change the status of the man. Status is determined already. That is why while you are here on earth, make certain that you are going to, you are going to have access into heaven. Praise the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. Let's conclude. The admonition, therefore let him who thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall, is akin to the warning by the Lord, watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is come. There are many people who sadly will miss the second coming because they think they are standing. They think they are standing because they know bishop. They think they are standing because they, they built a church. They think they are standing because they are instrumentalists in the church. They think they are standing because they are head choir. They are, they, they are the choir master in the church. They think they are standing because they are preaching the gospel. They think they are standing because the church they are attending, their grandfather was the one that built it. As qualification for being caught up at the second coming and entering into heaven, many people are trusting in their church attendance, trusting in preaching and serving in church, trusting in working of miracles and casting out demons, trusting in relationship with their pastors and general overseers, and so on. But nothing can be further from the truth. As the Lord told his disciples, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. That's what matters. How, how is my name written in heaven? When I surrender to Christ, when I give my life to Christ, when I submit to him and ask him to take over my life and lead me according to his word. If I are waiting for the second coming of the Lord, it should be productive. There are fundamentals that must be present in our lives. These are love not yourself or your life. Love not the world or the things of the world. And beware of spiritual lethargy and complacency. Peter, before the crucifixion and resurrection of the Lord, loved his life so much that he denied the Lord, even with an oath, after vowing not to forsake him. Demas loved this world so much he deserted his post and went to Thessalonica for personal carnal benefits. Aaron and Israel's elders and leaders in the wilderness were so lethargic in the spirit and complacent that they engaged in and led the whole nation to engage in all sorts of despicable acts which can be summarized as self-rule or self-government or self-determination, idolatry, indulgence, do whatever you can do, don't worry. Everything is accepted here. Come as you are, come as you are, come as you are. Mormonism, the pursuit and love of money, revelries, wantonness, which includes corruption, debauchery, decadence, depravity, evil, immorality, lewdness, licentiousness, shamelessness, and the like. You see how people shamelessly go to church, dressed anyhow, and you're wondering, they wouldn't dress that way if they're going to Asoro. But they dress that way to go to church. Spiritual Israel, 
we ought to learn from the mistakes of Israel in the wilderness. So that we, do, we wouldn't be shut out at the return of the Lord. Do you remember the five foolish virgins? They began to bang the day. Open. We just went to collect something. Open. It was too late. Said, get away from here. I know you not. It is time for us to wake up from our slumber. Discard our fleshly and worldly affections. Which war against our souls. And turn to God in faith. Who has reserved for us an inheritance in heaven. The inheritance is incorruptible, undefiled, and that does not fade away. I want to explain this to us. You see, this house was built in the 70s. You have to keep repainting it to maintain its image. So it is corruptible. Do you understand? Something that is incorruptible, once it's built, it's built. Undefiled. No stain on it. You can't stain it. It's, it's, it's better than stainless steel. And it doesn't fade away. It's not a matter of fashion. It is still there. They have put your name on that thing. They call it reserved for so so and so. It's put there. I'm sure you've been to parties before. You see them put reserve on chairs. If you try to say, hey, 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 it's not for you. They check you to where economic class is. To where everybody sits. Then you see one man will come wearing Agwada. They say, oh, please, sir, your seat has been reserved. They remove the reserve and put the seat. That's what the Bible says. It's reserved for you. Nobody can take it. That's what you have. Whatever you have on earth is called a resource. It's not an inheritance. Inheritance is in heaven. We walk towards inheritance. Resource is given for you to do your work here on earth. If you work in, an, in a company and they give you a car, it's a resource to enable you to do your work. Do you understand? But the car you have in your house, now that is your own. But it's not company car. Company car is given as a resource to, if you now carry some company car and go for a wedding, when you're supposed to be working, they will sack you. Because you're using it for a wrong thing. If we trust God, He will keep us by His power here on earth and ensure, know that word, ensure that we are partakers with His Son, Jesus Christ, when His kingdom is finally established. God is going to protect you here. No, no, no demon can stop you from gaining the inheritance that if you trust God, if you hold on to Him, not hold on to a church, not hold on to a man, not hold on to a doctrine, but hold on to God, hold on to His word. Many people sadly, many people rather, will sadly be banging on heaven's door. Proclaiming their qualifications for entry into heaven, they will be banging. Which will not come. They say, I'm here, I'm here. Remember the ten virgins. One of them would have said, Sister Nkechi, Sister Nkechi, tell him now, tell him. We were together, we slept together. Remember, I just go carry oil, I just go carry oil. And I was saying, oh, Nkechi is not answering you. Call uh, Brother Samuel. Brother Samuel, Brother Samuel, tell him, tell him. We were together. We attended the social and so church, you call them of the church. Our bishop is so and so, they will just tell him, Bishop is not here. I will say, eh, okay, who did there? Who did there? We call him. <laughs> they say, Bishop is not here. Ah, please, who is there that we can call his name? He said, he called the name of Jesus. Say, ah, he's, the, he's the one who locked the door. You, if you are used to paying bribe to enter, you can't enter there. It won't help you. When all they need is their trust in and dependency on God and the doing of his will. Brethren, what we need to enter heaven is simple. Let's stop running after money. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. If a man is not born again, he needs to get born again. That is the starting point. That is the doorway. For example, if you want to come and visit me, they have to open that gate for you. That's being born again. You have not, done, you have not seen me. You just entered the gate. That's all. If you enter the gate and you go out, have you seen anything? You haven't seen anything. That is just the entrance. When you get born again, then you are taught certain things. Repentance from dead works. 
you are taught faith towards God. You are taught the doctrine of baptisms, at which point you are baptized. You are taught about laying our hands. Don't put your head for just anybody to lay hands on you. You must have a relationship with the man who is laying hands on you. You just don't go, because you go to this church and say, Namao, man of God, you go and put your head. Be careful. There's a doctrine of resurrection of the dead. If you die in Christ, you will resurrect unto life. If you die without Christ, you will resurrect unto eternal death. Eternity is not one year. It's not ten years. It's not one hundred years. It's not one thousand years. It's not one million years. It's infinity. Those of you who do mathematics, it's infinity. What's that thing they say? They say, why the X? It's infinity. That's what eternal life is. It's forever. So it's one thing to be born again. Then you need to begin to grow. And as you grow, you begin to understand what God wants us to do. Let's bow our heads to pray. Remember the three things that God is speaking to us that must be in our lives. These are fundamentals. If they are not there, you cannot wait. Number one, love not the world. And love not yourself. Love not your life. Count your life of no value. Hand it over to God. He's the one who gives value to your life. Love not the world. The lust of the flesh. The lust of the eyes. The pride of life. Don't love those things. Seize from spiritual lethargy and complacency. It leads to the gold calf. It leads to a religion that Christ did not ask us to leave. Let's talk to the Lord. Let's ask him to help us. Ask him to help you specifically. You individually. The Bible says we should be diligent to make our election sure. You are born again. But you are backsliding. It's time to return to God. You have not been born again at all. It's time to seek the face of God. Ask him to give you access into his kingdom. Talk to the Lord on your own. Seek him while he can be found. Believe you me, there comes a time when you cannot find God. The story is told of a man whom a pastor had been evangelizing and talking to. pastor told him to give his life. He said he's traveling somewhere. When he returns on that journey, he will give his life. They kept begging him to give his life. He said, no, when I return, when I return, don't worry, when I return, I'll give my life. When I return, I'll give my life. Eventually, he was supposed to travel the day before. The day he was supposed to travel, his wife ran to the pastor and said to the pastor, your friend is ill. Sir, I thought he traveled. He said, no, he's in hospital. When he got to the hospital, he saw his case. He said, this man is a goner. He began to talk to him. He said, are you ready to accept Jesus? Are you ready to accept Jesus? The man said, too late. Too late. All he had to do was say yes. But he kept saying, too late. Too late. That was how he died. Without accepting Jesus. Whilst you have breath in you, is the time to accept the Lord Jesus as your Lord and Savior. I leave that as a personal decision to you today. Talk to him. If you have been living in sin, you need to seek the repentance of God, the forgiveness of God. You can't live in sin and say that you are waiting the second coming. Because it's not going to happen for you. Something else is going to happen. And it's not the second coming. Talk to the Lord. Even though we don't have much time here to pray. I advise you to get home. Take the notes you have. Go over them again. And seek the face of God. Make sure that you are in right standing when it comes. It would be a shame. It would be sad. To go to church every Sunday. To attend your Bible study. To go for prayer meetings. To go for night vigils. And be turned away from heaven. And be told you are a work of iniquity. Be told you live a lawless life. God forbid. Make your election sure. Talk to the Lord. Ask him to give you the assurance of salvation. If you don't have an assurance of salvation. Then ask him to save your soul. Father we thank you. For the word which you have given to us today. We glorify your name. We bless your holy name. We ask eternal rock of ages. That you help us to live as we ought to live. To walk as we should. Help us Lord not to love life. Even our own life. 
Help us, Lord, not to love the world. Help us, Lord, to avoid lethargy, to avoid complacency. But, Lord, to tirelessly seek after you. Seek after the knowledge of God. Seek after the knowledge of Lord Jesus Christ. Until we come to be with you. Thank you, everlasting Father. In Jesus' name, we have prayed. People of God, say, Amen. Amen. God bless you.